Okay, if you uh, have a Bible, if you'd like to uh, turn to uh, the book of Hebrews um, in the New Testament, uh, page number, if you have a church Bible's uh, 1201, the book of Hebrews, and we're going to read our main passage this evening uh, before James comes and speaks to us. So Hebrews chapter 1, starting from verse 5 till the end of the chapter. I notice in the the heading in the uh, NIV is the Son superior to angels. Verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my Son, today I have become your Father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says... In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end." To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit uh, salvation? I'm going to invite James now if he'd like to come up and uh, he's going to explain that passage to us. But... uh, While he does that, shall we just uh, pray again and ask the Lord's blessing upon both James and also his word this evening, shall we pray? Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word says that it can make us wise to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The fact that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Oh, Father, we do ask and pray that tonight, Lord, as we look into your word and as uh, James opens it up to us, Lord, help us, we pray, to just focus on you and what you want to say through your servant James. We do ask and pray that, Lord, we may indeed live lives for your glory. We do ask and pray this and we commit James to you now and ask and pray your blessing upon him. Give us hearts and ears that are open to what you want to say through James. We do ask and pray 
all of this in Jesus' name and for your glory we ask. Amen. Well, good evening, everyone. Do uh, keep your Bibles open at uh, Hebrews chapter 1, and uh, we're going we're gonna to look at it together. Young people, you should have some uh, sheets on your tables uh, with the, um, the passage on it as well, along with uh, uh, a bit of a puzzle, which you should find the words to as we go through this evening. So do uh, keep your ears open uh, for what we're going to look at. <clears throat> well, if you were here last week, uh, you heard uh, Dan uh, kick off our series uh, in Hebrews. And um, if, you, if you missed it last week, do go back and listen to it. It's a really helpful base for the whole book of Hebrews uh, that we're studying uh, together. But this book of Hebrews uh, was written uh, to a group of Christians who were going through uh, a tough time. They're weary, they're drifting Christians facing persecution with the potential to fall away from their faith altogether. I don't know, maybe that sounds like us this evening sometimes. This, this book, Hebrews, was written to encourage them. And there's a number of ways that this book does that. And each tactic of encouragement uh, is paired with the specific problem that these Christians are facing. Like a doctor would prescribe a specific uh, medicine for a particular illness. Sometimes it might be an overall, just a hit of lemsip to uh, get them back on to full health. Or it might be a precision scalpel to remove a growing sin. The writer of Hebrews knows what to prescribe. And here in this first chapter, he does it by giving us a sharp dose of reality, followed by fixing, reaffixing our eyes onto whom they must be set. So let's look at this text together and explore it. Firstly, we have to understand why the writer wrote what he did to the original readers. And one main theme that stands out as we read the passage just now is this subject of angels. So much so that this writer has started the whole book by talking about them. And these Christians that he's writing to must have had the wrong idea about angels for him to dedicate this much space to explaining them. And this is helpful for us too this evening because here at church, we don't often talk about angels. And if this much priority is given here in Hebrews then it's important that we've got the right idea too. However, this passage unashamedly points us to Jesus. And therefore, if we're to be faithful to this text, then we need to grasp the glory and the majesty and the superiority of Jesus. So we're going to explore more about angels and more about Jesus this evening. Sound good? Great. Let's, uh, let's dive in. Let's, read, let's go back a bit. Let's read from verse 3. Starting a bit before our passage, but it's helpful to gather some context. So verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful words. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son? Today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, 
He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. Jesus is being lifted up here. That's what we saw last week with Dan, wasn't it? Verses 3 and 4. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He is God. He sustains all things. He provides purification for sins. He's seated at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. It's a pretty substantial list, isn't it? And we could spend hours exploring each of those individual characteristics. But the writer of Hebrews doesn't. He takes us down another avenue. Look with me at at verse 4. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So the key point here and throughout the rest of our passage this evening is that Jesus is much better than angels. Jesus is much better than angels and our passage tells us how much superior he is. Why is he superior? Well, our passage says he's inherited a name that is better than the angels. But what is the name that he's inherited? Well, we get an insight into this in verse 5, where we learn the name that he's inherited. Verse 5, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have become your father. So the name he's inherited is son of God. But how can, how can that be when Jesus has always been the son of God, right? From before creation of the world, Jesus was there with the Father and the Spirit. At his birth, he's announced as son of God. When Jesus was baptized, we hear God saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus has always been and always will be the Son of God. But that leaves us wondering about why Jesus inherits a name, the Son of God. I want you to all come with me to uh, ancient Rome, not physically, just in your imagination, um, to imagine uh, a, wealthy, a wealthy businessman. He's got a vast vineyard, many employees, He's a very wealthy man. His land stretches for miles, and he lives a very lavish lifestyle. But as this man grew old, his eldest son became old enough to receive his inheritance. And if he was approved as a man by his father, he would, ceremonially, he would be ceremonially received and bestowed with his name and inheritance. This isn't an inheritance that would just come to the eldest of a family because they were born into the right family and now they just don't have to work, they can just live off their parents' money. No, this is an inheritance where the son would enter in to his father's occupation and and business because he would have had the qualities of character to do so. This is what it meant to be a son. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is referring to here in the inheritance. In the same way, through Jesus dying, making purification for sin, rising after three days, and then ascending to be seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, he fully receives the inheritance of his name. Through Jesus beating death and Satan and triumphing over them to new life, God the Father Manifests. God the Father makes known to the whole world Jesus' status as divine son. 
Just like the centurion at the cross who exclaimed, surely this is the Son of God. He makes known to the world that Jesus is the Son of God. We can use Romans 1 verse 4 to help us. Talking about Jesus, it says, And who, through the Spirit of holiness, was appointed the Son of God, in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Appointed the Son of God, in power by his resurrection from the dead. So we can look back at verse 5 of our passage and ask, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Well, none of them. Jesus Christ has inherited a name that is superior to theirs. No angel was ever asked to sit on the throne at the right hand of God. Jesus is superior because he has a better name. Jesus is superior because he has a better name. But Jesus is also superior because he is worshipped. Jesus is superior because he is worshipped. Let's read verse 6 again. It says, and again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. If you've got a paper Bible in front of you, then you'll see all the cross-references listed there at the bottom. The writer has been quoting from the Old Testament pretty much every verse. Psalm 2, 2 Samuel 7, Deuteronomy 32, the list goes on. Reading this, we're being taken through all these Old Testament references, all written before Jesus was born, but being shown that it all points to Jesus, it all points to the Son. And here in verse 6, we can see that Jesus is superior to angels because Jesus is being worshipped. You would only worship something if you knew that it was better than you, right? No one's worshipping something they think the same of. They think that's equal status to me. Worshipping Jesus here here in Hebrews chapter 1 is a big deal. Worshipping Jesus in, in general is a big deal. It's, it's what sets Christianity apart, isn't it? It sets Christianity apart from Judaism, believing that Jesus isn't God. It sets Christianity apart from Jehovah's Witnesses, saying that Jesus is an archangel. It sets Christianity apart to Islam, where Jesus is just a prophet. This might have been what the believers that Hebrews was being written to, that might be what they were wrestling with. Jesus might have just been some type of angel. But what do all these have in common? All these religions say Jesus is not to be worshipped. They say Jesus is not to be worshipped. And that's understandable, isn't it? If Jesus, the Son of God, isn't God, if he's not God, then why would you worship him? But that brings us on to the next verses where we get taken to the Psalms. Let's let's read what's quoted here from Psalm 45. It says, Your throne, O gods, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Isn't this amazing? This picture of this throne that will endure forever and ever. A glorious throne that, verse 13, is at the right hand of God the Father. And who's seated on that throne? The king. 
The king who we saw earlier has created all of the universe. But he's not just a king. He's God too. Look with me, verse 9. It says, Therefore God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. This king of whom we have to say that God is his God and he is himself God. Let me say that again. This king of whom we have to say that God is his God and he is himself God. Does that, does that hold place in your heart? Does Jesus hold that place in your, in your heart? So often he doesn't for me. This is a call to know who Jesus is and for that to fuel our worship. Well, throughout our passage, the writer has been comparing Jesus to angels and we have read this evening that there is one king, but there are many angels. There is one worthy of worship, but there are many worshippers. Christ is the king over the church. But angels do the bidding for the church. We see this king and servants picture being brought to the foreground here as we come to the end of our passage in verses 13 and 14. And again, we see this rhetorical question, don't we? The one similar we saw in verse 5. Let's read verse 13. It says, To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit on my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Do we see a link back to, to verse 3? He's linking things all over the place. Verse 3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The son claims his seat next to the throne of God. And the right hand of God the Father is the throne of God the Son. To no angel has God ever offered that seat. With that seat comes the inheritance of his name and the recognition throughout heaven and earth that this is the one true Son of God and his name is Jesus. But our passage ends with verse 14 and possibly the most puzzling verse in our passage. It says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Again, that rhetorical question that he's writing out for his readers Well, what is going on here? Well, Christ from his throne in glory, he sends angels to serve those who will inherit salvation. That's that's us, that's Christians, that's you and me, people trusting in Jesus. And in sending angels, he accomplishes two things. Firstly, they're sent so that we would persevere in our faith until we inherit salvation. And secondly, in serving us, the enemies of Christ are made into a footstool for his feet. Verse 13. How amazing is it to know that the risen Lord Jesus, from his heavenly throne in glory, he sends angels to minister to us in times of need, to strengthen us in times of weakness. And we may never know that it's happening. Hebrews chapter 13 reminds us that some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. 
We speak so often of the spiritual forces of darkness, every rule and authority and power that's against the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Let us too speak about angels. Here we see in Hebrews these powerful servants of the kingdom of God, sent by the King Jesus Christ. By these angels serving those who will inherit salvation, the powers of darkness and enemies of Christ are becoming his footstool. If that wasn't enough, Jesus too sends us his Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to come and live inside believers, to fill our minds and open our eyes, to guide us on the path of righteousness. If that wasn't enough, know that Jesus is interceding for you on your behalf, ensuring our acceptance into God's presence, pleading our every cause from his throne at the right hand of God the Father. Christ is exceedingly busy on your behalf this evening. Christ is exceedingly busy on your behalf. Christ is triumphant in victory. And one day there will be no enemies left standing. The pain and trial of this world is only temporary. And one day the enemies of Christ will be thrown into the lake of fire once and for all. But know this this evening. Jesus is not an angel. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is not an angel. He is worshipped by angels. Jesus is not an angel He is the creator of the world. Jesus is not an angel. He is the one who dispatches angels to do his bidding for his church. Jesus is not an angel. Jesus is the son of God who steps into this earth to live a sinless life so that he could die on a cross and take away our sin so that we could step into this relationship with the God of the universe this evening. You might be, if you're hearing this, you might be like, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this this evening. And we don't deserve it. There's the beautiful grace of God that is being poured out on us this evening. That Christ would be exceedingly busy on our behalf at the right hands of God the Father. Let us then listen to chapter 2, verse 1. In the ESV, it says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Let us not drift away. Let us be spurred on to go on living for Christ this week. Let us not get the wrong idea about who Jesus is. He is to be worshipped. He is God. He is the commander of angel armies. And he is seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, interceding on your behalf. This is amazing news this evening. But if this is true, if this is true this evening, what does your soul need except Christ? What does your soul need except Christ? This is where it lands for us today. This is where it hits us. What does your soul need except Christ? Do you need pardon for sin? 
or Christ is exalted and has accepted the sacrifice of his blood for your sin. Do you need newness of life, a new heart, new strength to follow him? From his heavenly throne, he sends mighty resources, even angels to your aid. Even better, he sends his Holy Spirit to live inside you and work within you. Do you fear death this evening? Well, Jesus is reigning now until his last enemy is conquered. Because he reigns victorious, death shall have no hold on you, but only usher you into the courts of glory. What does your soul need except Christ this evening? A man called Richard Phillips, who wrote a commentary on Hebrews, he ends, he ends with this. He says, There is nothing you might face, nothing you might lack, nothing you might need in all your weakness and sin and human frailty that is not found abundantly in him who loves you and gave himself for you and now reigns as Savior and Lord, who remains the same and whose years shall have no end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your words that it tells us exactly who Jesus is. He is your son. He is not an angel. He is God, seated at your right hand commander of countless angels interceding on our behalf pleading our cause guaranteeing us acceptance into your presence because of his blood let us know who Jesus is this evening Lord please help us when we don't understand please help us when we struggle to know who Jesus is Lord please help us Father, I pray that this week we would revel and marvel at who you are and who your son is. That our souls would cry out, there is nothing I need except Christ. Save us from the trials and temptations of this world and may we fix our gaze on Jesus this evening. Lord, may we worship you with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. May we lay our lives down before you this evening, knowing that you are a good and gracious and perfect king, ruling over all. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.